Oh, the kids are great, weren't they? Amen. And I want to add my uh, uh, gratitude, word of appreciation to all of the the people who came. Uh, Some of you came every night and worked uh, until late in the evening. Uh, We really are grateful for the the sacrifice you made so that our children could encounter God's word and and just uh, have their lives changed in many cases uh, this week. So thank you so much for that. Well, before we dive into Jonah for the final week of our study, I want to take a moment to uh, celebrate a milestone with you uh, about our next-gen spiritual initiative. This is actually uh, today, the final Sunday of the first year, our three-year, 36-month next-gen spiritual initiative. And as of today, uh, we are now officially over $1 million in next-gen gifts, and we wanted to share that with you. Our... um, our total gifts are $1,011,260, and we are grateful for that, praising God for that. We want to encourage everyone to uh, continue to be faithful and generous as you are giving to see what God is, is going to do in the days that are ahead. We anticipate breaking ground in just a few weeks uh, this summer, and uh, I want you to know that every dollar you give in these next few weeks before we close on our financing is going to be a dollar less that we need to borrow. So uh, whatever you are able to do in these next few weeks will make a real difference. We really want to encourage you in that. And uh, we're just looking forward to what God um, is going to do. You're going to be seeing some real changes on our property very, very soon. And uh, it's just an exciting thing. Well, today we wrap up our story of Jonah. And today we discover really what this story is all about. And I've told you this before, but maybe make it really clear. The point of Jonah is not uh, directed really against the people who are in rebellion against God, against people who are the bad people morally. God always opposes sin and violence, but the primary point of Jonah is really aimed at those of us who see ourselves as good people. In fact, uh, if you're here today, maybe for the very first time, uh, maybe you're not really a church person, maybe this feels a little awkward you're not used to what's going on here. Maybe you're here and you think that the church is just full of really judgmental people. I'm going to tell you, that's how you feel. You've picked the perfect Sunday to attend because um, we're about to confirm all your suspicions. You're going to see in Jonah chapter four. Let me explain this. I'm going to review the story so make sure we're up to speed where we've been and how we get to this point. The Bible makes it clear on all of its pages that God always loves the world that he has created. And even when people have sinned and even when people have brought evil into God's perfect world, God continues to love them. He continues to offer them forgiveness. And so one day, God comes to his prophet Jonah and God gives Jonah an assignment. He tells him, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, the powerful city of Nineveh, the wicked city of Nineveh, the evil city. I want you to go, Jonah. I want you to preach against that city because there are people in Nineveh that I love. That's Jonah's assignment from God. God wants these people to turn from their evil and violence. God wants them to know his love. But God's prophet, Jonah, he doesn't want that. God's prophet runs the opposite way. He doesn't want these evil people to experience God's love. And so he boards a ship. He's going to sail west All the way across the Mediterranean Sea, he's going to go to the end of the known world uh, in that day. He runs from God like we do sometimes. 
But what we see in Jonah is that God never gives up. God sends a great wind. God sends a great storm. And in Jonah chapter one, it is so amazing. We see these pagan sailors get it and they end up worshiping God while God's prophet, the good person, he gets stubbornly thrown overboard. He's not repentant. It's just this incredible story. The winds obey God. The waves obey God. Pagan sailors obey God. Even the great fish obeys God. Everybody obeys God, but God's prophet. And then we get to chapter two. And in chapter two, while Jonah is in the belly of this great fish three days and three nights, he finally repents. He cries out to God. God forgives his disobedience. And God has the fish vomit him out on land. And then Jonah obeys. Jonah makes the trek over land 550 miles to the city of Nineveh. And then last week, as we saw in Jonah 3, Jonah obeys God. He does what God has told him to do. But it's pretty clear if you read between the lines that while Jonah is obeying, Jonah is not happy about it. Jonah does what God says, but the message he proclaims is pretty vague. Just eight words, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. It was just five words in the original Hebrew. That's all he says. He doesn't say anything about God's justice or God's love. He doesn't tell the people how to repent. He doesn't offer God's forgiveness. And what we're being told between the lines is that Jonah the prophet is kind of just phoning it in. He's not really trying. But this strange thing happens. The people listen anyway. The people respond anyway. Their hearts are broken over their sin and God's spirit moves And there is citywide repentance. There are tens of thousands of people who turn their lives over to God. Now, again, this is not what Jonah was hoping for. This is not why he was preaching his lame message. What we're meant to see in Jonah 3 is, despite Jonah, God is still at work. And it's really all about God and all about God's power. Jonah isn't even trying, and yet people still repent. And the people fast. They cry out to God. They put on sackcloth. They even put sackcloth on their animals. And God hears all this. He sees all this. And God responds. And the last verse we looked at last week, final verse of chapter 3, says this. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. You see, God longs for people who are far from him to turn in repentance. He longs to forgive those people, even people who have done evil things, even violent people like the Ninevites. You see, God has always been like that. God always will be like that. And one of the things that tells us right now at the beginning of of our exploration of this chapter, that tells us, please hear me, there is hope for anyone, everyone who has sinned, even you. And you know, there are some of you here today, and maybe this is the reason God brought you here today so that you would hear this. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you will turn in repentance, God will forgive you. God is that kind of God. Now, if you're reading Jonah for the first time and you finish chapter three and you see there's one more chapter, you're probably going to think 
that this is where the story gets really happy and where everybody lives happily ever after. That This is going to be wrapped up, you know, with a nice bow. It's going to be just excitement and joy. We would think that Jonah, God's prophet, would see all this and he would be thrilled. I mean, this is like the most monumental spiritual victory of his life, using God using him to bring an entire city of people to repentance. And Jonah wasn't even trying. But what we're about to see is Jonah is not thrilled. Jonah isn't even happy. Jonah is angry. Jonah's angry. Listen to what happens in chapter four. Verse one says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And those are beautiful words, right? Jonah's not expressing these as a compliment right now. You need to know that. Verse three, now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose... God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? So what's up with Jonah, God's prophet? I mean, He's obeyed God and delivered the message and tens of thousands of people have responded. Their lives have been spared. He ought to be happy, but he's angry and his anger leads to despondency and despair, even to suicidal thoughts. What is going on? What's going on is this. God, through uh, these writings, is explaining to us the point of this story of Jonah and he's letting us know that it's not just about Jonah. You see, the ultimate point of Jonah is that God's people can be like Jonah. And that, in fact, is why the title of today's message is I Am Jonah. I Am Jonah. For many centuries, uh, one of the practices that takes place in Jewish synagogues on the Day of Atonement is they read this entire book. It's part of their worship. It happens every year. And after the book is read, the congregation responds to the reading of God's word by saying in unison, I am Jonah. They see themselves in the book. And we need to see today that every one of us has had at least one, probably more than one Jonah moment. And it's really in this final chapter that we get to this point of seeing Jonah's heart and the struggles he is going through. 
You know, when you read this book, you may have had a tendency at times to kind of roll your eyes. Jonah seems kind of ridiculous sometimes. I want to caution you against that. I want to make sure that you open yourself up to seeing yourself in this man, to seeing that you too can be like Jonah. Now, to help us do that, I want to ask some questions because this chapter has a number of questions that get asked. And so I want to do that today. And the first question I want to ask and try to answer is, how am I sometimes like Jonah? I'm going to give you three answers come from Jonah's life. I am sometimes like Jonah when I care more about my reputation than other people. Now, the language in verse 1 is about as strong as it can possibly be in the Hebrew text. The English translation says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Literally, though, it says this was a great evil to Jonah. The repentance and salvation of the Ninevites was a great evil to Jonah. But one man translated it this way. This was absolutely disgusting to Jonah, and he became angry. Why was he so angry? Well, maybe among other things, Jonah was angry because he knew that this would destroy his reputation as a prophet. Jonah had whiffed on a prediction. God sent him to proclaim doom. Doom hadn't come, so he's now humiliated. And rather than rejoicing that God had spared so many lives, Jonah is angry because God had let him down. He cared more about his reputation than he did about other people. I was thinking this week about how this can happen to us, and I think that maybe this happens most often when I am afraid to share my faith with someone because of what they might think about me. You ever have that happen? You ever hold back telling someone about Jesus because you're afraid of what they'll think about you? You know, we live in a culture, we live in a day and an age where the supreme virtue is tolerance, so-called tolerance. And the idea is that every idea has equal value. Every idea is right. Every idea, you know, can't be wrong. And so if anyone comes along and says this is right and that is wrong, then they're intolerant. And we are people who serve a God who says, I am the one true God and there is no other. We are Christians. We follow a Lord who says, who says I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And when you tell somebody that, they might think some things about you that are unpleasant. Maybe some of you don't want somebody to get mad at you. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're afraid HR is going to hear and you won't get a promotion because you've been labeled as a Christian. Here's the thing I want you to think about. Have concerns like this ever kept you from doing what God tells you to do, from sharing good news with other people? Do you care more about your reputation than about other people? Second question, uh, second way that I'm sometimes like Jonah is when I care more about my prejudices than other people. Look again at verses two and three. Jonah prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? 
That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Oh, God, now take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Anybody think it's about time to send Jonah back to the fish? (laughs) Now, there's a lot of stuff going on here, but Jonah's anger, let's give him a little bit of credit Jonah's anger was fundamentally about justice, and we need to be fair to him. We need to understand him the best we can. The Ninevites, as we talked about earlier in this series, were violent, evil people. They had terrorized many nations, and and Jonah's basic issue is he did not understand how God could be just and God could still forgive the Ninevites. And I think growing out of that, Jonah also feared that if Nineveh turned and Nineveh was restored and Nineveh grows stronger again, that they would come again against the the nation of Israel, his homeland. They may conquer his people. And so he was a good patriotic Israelite, so he hated them. Jonah had a kind of tribalism that was something like what we today might call prejudice or maybe even racism. See, Jonah couldn't imagine how God would want to show his mercy to people like this. And I think the best way for us to try to understand him is to think of the group that we know today as ISIS. And it's kind of interesting that ISIS has their headquarters in Mosul, Iraq, which is actually right where Nineveh used to be 2,700 some years ago. Isn't it hard sometimes for us to conceive that God might want to forgive some people who behead other people and do all the horrible things that they have done? See, if it's ever hard for you to conceive that God cares for other people as much as he cares for you, then you're experiencing some of what Jonah was experiencing. Have you ever grappled with that reality? Has it ever struck you that maybe God doesn't love people like he loves you? Have you ever ever felt that way? What about the people of other nations? You know, we can see a tragedy take place in our country and it just tears us apart, but the same thing happens, maybe 10 times worse, halfway around the world and doesn't even bother us. Have you ever asked yourself why? What about the people in other races or what about the people in other religions? Do you ever find yourself, even subtly thinking that God really must not love them as much as he loves you. There's an old story, maybe you've heard it before, about St. Peter and this new arrival in heaven. And this guy has just come through the pearly gates. Peter's giving him the grand tour. They're walking the streets of gold. They're talking and they're laughing loudly. And, And then they round this corner and they see this group of tents. And Peter all of a sudden stops this guy and says, shh, be quiet. And the guy's kind of confused, and he says, why? I thought we were supposed to be joyful here. And Peter says, yeah, that's right, but those are the Baptist Presbycostalarians. They think they're the only ones here. I thought it was funny. I don't know. I mean, you ever had that kind of feeling that you and your group, God must love more than those other people, whoever they are? See, if we're going to be the kind of followers and disciples that we need to be, we need all of us to face our prejudices, and we need to realize that all of us have some. Just think for a moment about this question. Are there any groups of people that you honestly really wouldn't want here at Southwinds? Now, I've 
I've been your pastor for over 14 years, and I've never heard anyone say anything like this, but this text calls me to ask that question. Let's draw it down a little more sharply. Let me make it real personal. Are there any people you don't ever really want in your home? In other words, who are your Ninevites? Now, many people in 21st century America, we've, we've worked through and dealt with some of the old racial prejudices, but along the way, have we acquired any new ones? I, I think in my experience, in our context here in our area, maybe a lot of times for Christ followers, these things are more socioeconomic than ethnic or racial. Or maybe, maybe for you, it has more to do with one particular person. Maybe the question ought to be, who is your Ninevite? Is there one particular person in your life that you really, honestly, don't want God to forgive? Third way that I can be like Jonah is this. When I care more about my comfort than other people, Verses five and six say, Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Now, this may be the most mind boggling thing in this whole chapter. Jonah's angry when God spares an entire city that repents. He's mad because they're still alive. And now he becomes just as angry when a plant that had kept him comfortable for just one day dies. I mean, can you see how ridiculous this is? Can you see how absurd Jonah has become? He's mad because people were alive. He's mad because a plant had died. It just makes no sense at all. Why would he be like that? Well, the answer at its root is self-centeredness. Jonah thought it was all about him. Despite the fact that he was God's prophet, he was supposed to be God's spokesman to the nation, he still was caring more about himself than anyone else. But he's not the only one, is he? See, sometimes as Christ followers, we can get our priorities out of balance and we can become self-centered and we can think it's about us more than about other people. Maybe you could think of it this way. What's your vine? What's your vine? Everyone has at least one. And we need to deal with these in our lives because self-centeredness always stunts our spiritual growth. Self-centeredness will keep a church from accomplishing its mission. In fact, let me just put it this way for Southwinds at this point in our history. We are about to move into a new era where we build more building and we have more resource. We have more opportunity to reach more people. Therefore, we're going to have more things going on here. It's going to be easy for us, if we're not careful, to want to just make what we do here for ourselves and for our families, to make ourselves comfortable, to provide for our needs and not really think about the needs of the people outside. That's one question. Here's another one. When I'm like Jonah, how does God respond to me? Let me give you three things that I see him doing to Jonah that he often does to us. The first one is really good news. God shows me amazing grace. Now, verses one and two, I already showed you that God, uh, Jonah tells God why he's angry. And I want to point out that his reasons are, are incredibly self-centered. In fact, nine times in the Hebrew text, 
of verses 1 and 2, Jonah uses a first-person personal pronoun, I, my, me. It's just like all about Jonah. You know, he says, God, isn't this what I said while I was still at home? I knew you would do this. I know what you're like, God. Do you hear that tone? God, I know what you're like. I know that you are gracious and compassionate. I know that you are slow to anger and abounding in love. I knew, God, if you had half a chance that you would relent from sinning calamity. All these wonderful things about God, and Jonah's talking about them like they're really bad. You understand that, right? I know what you're like. That's what he's saying. And if you read this and you think about the other three chapters leading up to this, you might find yourself thinking, maybe God's given Jonah enough chances, right? Maybe God should just end this and move on. But God's ways and God's thoughts are not like our ways and thoughts. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God has amazing grace? God doesn't rebuke Jonah harshly. He just quietly graciously asks Jonah a question. Verse four, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? See, what God is doing here is he's giving Jonah a chance to think about his attitude. And behind that very simple question is this. God is essentially communicating to Jonah, Jonah, wasn't it just a few weeks ago that you needed my kindness? Remember Jonah, belly of the fish, three days, three nights, Wasn't it just a few weeks ago, Jonah, that you needed grace, that you needed compassion, that you needed me to be slow to anger? Is it right, Jonah, of all people, for you to be angry that I have extended my grace to undeserving people? Is it right? Do you notice what Jonah does? He doesn't even answer God. He just walks away. And we're told that he goes out east of the city and he sits down to watch. And maybe he's hoping, you know, there's still some time left for the 40 days. Maybe he's hoping God will change his mind. Maybe he's hoping God will still send judgment. And it's at this point that we see kind of a turn take place in God's dealings with Jonah. This is the second way God responds to us when we're like Jonah. God shows me sovereign power. I want you to notice three actions that God takes in verses Six through eight, God provides a plant, God provides a worm, God provides a scorching east wind. Let me read the ESV's translation of this. It's a little more literal. It says, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And notice what God is doing. Jonah's theology says God should not be merciful to these people. Jonah wants God to remove his care from these Ninevites. And so God says to Jonah, let me give you a little taste of your theology. Let me show you how your theology will work out in your world if I remove my care from you. So God causes this plant to grow, and it's a kind of a gourd with really big leaves, and it shades Jonah from the blazing sun. And verse 6 tells us this makes Jonah happy. And I want you to notice, this is the first time in the entire book that Jonah is happy about something. First time. And this vine grows up miraculously overnight, and then God sends a worm to destroy it. 
And then God turns up the heat. Nineveh was a hot place, as you might imagine, a place where the temperature was likely to be around 100 degrees. In fact, I looked up yesterday the weather forecast for Mosul, Iraq. Anybody want to know what the high temps are going to be for the next four days? They're going to be 113, 116, 118, 116. Anybody want to go? You know, just imagine that kind of scenario. And into that, God sends a Scirocco, a scorching east wind. This is a wind that can take when it's already hot and it can cause temperatures to rise dramatically. Just in a couple hours, it can go up 20 degrees. The wind is extremely dry. It sucks every ounce of moisture out of the air. One scholar writes, constant hot air so full of positive ions that it affects the level of serotonin and other brain neurotransmitters. It causes exhaustion, depression, feelings of unreality, and occasionally bizarre behavior. Jonah's miserable. Sun is blazing on his head and he grows faint and he, he just loses his desire to live. And we can kind of relate to that, right? It's been hot here the last week. I mean, you know, think about those 10 or 15 minutes that you had to be outside between your car and the air-conditioned building, your air-conditioned house. That was terrible, wasn't it? He's out in it constantly, and then God comes to him again. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And Jonah's temper flashes again. I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. Notice how God responds. He is so different than us, right? So different. Number three, God shows me tender patience. Again, we might think that Jonah's continued temper tantrum might cause God to lose patience, but God doesn't lose patience. And again, I just want to ask you, is anybody glad about that? Jonah was right about at least one thing. God is slow to anger. And instead of getting angry, God points Jonah to the heart of the matter, verses 10 and 11. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Now, here's what God is saying to Jonah. Jonah You're concerned about all the wrong things. You're a good man, Jonah. You're a prophet. You're a law keeper. You you obey my moral law, Jonah, but your concerns are not my concerns. Jonah, do you know what I'm concerned about? Jonah, I'm concerned about this generation of people. Jonah, what are you concerned about? Um, Gord? Me? I'm hot? I don't like it here. I don't want to be here. Jonah, I'm concerned about this generation of Ninevites. What are you concerned about? Me? I'm hot. I don't like it here. Jonah, I'm concerned about this generation of people. What are you concerned about? And I think God... It's also saying today, hey, Mike, what are you concerned about? Um, 
It was hot this week. I sweated a lot. VBS. He's also saying, hey, Southwinds, what are you concerned about? I'm concerned about this generation of people. God is saying to you, I'm concerned about the people who live in your neighborhood, even the really annoying neighbors. God is saying, I'm concerned about the person that you hate the most, the person you don't ever want to see forgiven. God is saying to some of us, I am concerned about your mother-in-law. Yeah, I know you are too, but in different ways. God is saying, I'm concerned about the generation of adolescents that are growing up right now in a culture that is, that is uh, telling them all kinds of things that are not true, that is trying to cause them to believe things that are going to end up destroying their lives. I'm concerned about the children coming up behind them that are hearing the same thing. I am concerned, God says, for single moms. I am concerned, God says, for people who are struggling with addictions. I'm concerned for people who just walked away from church. What are you concerned about? What are you concerned about? Here's another thing to think about. What makes you angry? Jonah, he got angry about a gourd. What makes you angry? I think if we get honest with ourselves, what basically makes us angry when we boil it all down is we get angry when we don't get our own way. Is that right? This would be a good place for an amen if you want to be honest. And God's watching. I just need to remind you right now. We get angry when we don't get our way. What about the people all around us who have a far, far greater problem than that? See, God is concerned about his generation. He's concerned about his creation. He reminds Jonah that there were 120,000 people who didn't know their right hand from their left. And this means basically that they didn't have spiritual and moral insight. They didn't know God. They didn't know that God had created them. They didn't know that God had cared for them. They grew up in this evil, violent culture. They thought that's how everybody lived. They didn't know better. And God said, I created them and I want them to know how I created them to live. God says, I created the cattle. <laughs> I'm concerned about them too. See, he's just asking Jonah this question. Isn't it right for me to be concerned about this great city? It's kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if you experienced this when you first read Jonah, but you get to the, the 11th verse and God asks this question and then it just ends. And you're thinking like, like where's verse 12? I mean, does this... Does this have anything more to say to us? And what God is trying to do is cause us to question ourselves. You know what struck me this week as I was looking at this? What struck me this week is that the cities that make up our region of mission and ministry, Tracy, Mountain House, and Lathrop, when you add the population of those three communities together, you know how many people live there right now? Around 120,000. And according to the data that we have from research that's been done into the spiritual lives of people in our area, best case scenario, 100,000 of those people do not know Jesus Christ. The number is probably higher. Best case scenario, that's how many people are lost and don't know God through his son, Jesus Christ. Are we concerned? 
Let me raise as we close three questions that we all ought to ask ourselves as we study Jonah chapter four. Let me give them to you. Number one, what pride issues prevent me from effectively serving Jesus Christ? Are you willing to ask yourself that question and not just brush it off? What pride issues get in the way of you doing God's will? Number two, have I honestly faced my prejudices? Are you willing to put aside all those things you felt and maybe heard over the years about certain people different from you? Um, beyond that, is there someone, someone in your life that you're holding hate against? Is there anyone that you really do not want to be in heaven with you? You don't want God to forgive them. Jonah needed to forgive the Ninevites. Let me ask you, who do you need to forgive? And here's what I know. Some of you are thinking right now, I can't do that. That's too much to ask. That's impossible. And actually, I want to tell you, it is not impossible. And here's why. You've been doing that all your life. There is someone you know who screws up a lot. Someone you know who's hurt a whole lot of other people. Someone you know who's done an awful lot of bad things. But you keep on separating who they are from their actions. And you keep on forgiving them. Anybody want to know who I'm talking about? It's you. You do that to yourself. We, we all do. Can, can you realize that when you boil it all down, the only thing that really matters in the end about other people is whether or not they know Jesus Christ, whether or not they know him. Here's the third question. Are there any personal comforts that I won't give up for God's kingdom? And if we as a church are truly serious about fulfilling God's great commitment, com- commandment and God's great commission, then every one of us will have to do some things that we will not be comfortable doing. It is not easy sharing the good news of Jesus with people who don't know him. It is not easy being faithful to give from our resources so that God's work is fully resourced. It is not easy to give up and sacrifice our time and serve. We're all busy. So where are you today? See, Jonah calls you to ask yourself, is my life all about me? Or am I giving of my time, my energies, my resources so that other people can know about God? See, there's a sense in which we can say that life for a Christ follower is about Nineveh. And the question today is not whether or not God is calling you as a follower of Christ to do something. He is. The question is, what is he calling you to do? And will you listen and will you follow? Now, like I said a moment ago, this, this book ends really abruptly. God asks his question. It's like he asks a question and he just drops the mic and he walks off. And we're just left to wonder, what did Jonah do? How did Jonah respond? Did he stay angry? Did his heart soften? Did he get right with God and with other people? God just kind of leaves this out there hanging, and he does it for a reason. It's intentional. He wants you and he wants me to ask that same question of ourselves. Are we concerned? This is not about whether you have some feelings. A lot of times we have feelings. We feel bad for people who are in this situation or that situation. We, we feel bad and then we leave and we go eat lunch and we forget. Feelings are cheap. Feelings without action or sentimentality. See, are, are you willing to do something? Are you? 
And the interesting thing when I think about this, there are many people who are doing things, many people who are giving. That's why we have this church building. This didn't happen by accident. Many people over the years have given and sacrificed and served in so many ways. It's why we had Vacation Bible School for hundreds of kids this week. We had over 100 adults every night serving and and, and giving of their time. Many people here in this church family get it, but some of us don't. Some of us have been willing up to this point to come and just receive, never to give back, just to take, never to share. And we're really sinning the sin of Jonah. We're really making this just all about us, all about our comforts, all about our personal needs, not about anyone else. And if that's where you are, I just want to leave you with these questions. Why are you so apathetic? Why do you think you're busier than anyone else? If you're unwilling to serve and give and sacrifice, why do you think that, that you're the only one in this situation and no one else is there as well? Why is it that when you're given opportunities to serve and to give and to sacrifice, you always find a way to talk yourself out of it? God says, should I not be concerned about this great city? And he's saying to us, should we not be concerned with the people who are living all around us? I want to end our time together this morning like this. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. And it's a song that many of you are familiar with. It's a song some of you have memorized. We've sung it many times. You may know the words by heart. I'm going to read some of the words to you. And I hope that as we sing today, these words penetrate your heart, maybe like they'd never done before. Listen to what we're going to sing. We're going to sing, everyone needs compassion. Everyone. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Do you know how people experience God's compassion and unfailing love? Mostly, they experience it through you and through me. Are are you showing that? We're going to sing, let mercy fall on me. And aren't you glad that God's mercy has fallen on you? But what about other people it's not fallen on yet? How are they going to find out? They're going to find out through you and me. Everyone needs forgiveness. Everyone. And, And how are they going to experience forgiveness? Mostly through seeing God's people getting involved in their lives and telling them about that forgiveness that God offers through His Son, Jesus Christ. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. And the nations are around us. You see them every day, people from different cultures and different nations. They live right here. Everyone needs compassion. Everyone needs forgiveness. And then we're going to sing to God. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures. And some of you are saying right now, God, I don't think I can do this. I don't know answers to questions. They may ask me something. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. God, I don't think I can do this. All my fears and failures. Fill my life again. I give my life to follow, to follow. Everything I believe in, now I surrender. Now I surrender. 
Let's not be like Jonah. Let's not run from God. Let's reach out to Nineveh with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we do, if we follow, if we're faithful, if we trust God and we share and we serve and we sacrifice, God is going to do some amazing things through us. But we have to follow. We have to obey. We have to share. Will you bow your heads as we pray together? And after we pray, we're going to sing. Father God, I give you thanks and we give you thanks for this story of Jonah. Lord, uh, how relevant it is today. You speak to our lives, God. There's so many ways through it. We thank you, Lord, for all the people in our church family who get this and they serve and they sacrifice. Lord, continue to empower them and give them strength and, and grace to touch other people's lives. Lord, if we have been people who have talked ourselves out of opportunities you've given us to share and serve and Lord, to sacrifice, maybe today, Lord, we would be the people who stop backing out and stop making excuses. And Lord, as you tell us what to do, and I know that you are telling us individually what you want us to do. Even now, Lord, we're sensing in our spirits how you want us to obey you. I pray that we would be obedient. I pray that we would follow you. I pray that we would do whatever it is you're telling us to do. Lord, we just ask that as we together, as your people, as your, uh, your family, serve and love those around us, that you will use us to make a difference in lives, that people will be saved, that lives will be turned around, Father, that grace and mercy and unfailing love would flow. We pray these things now in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and all God's people said.